What is going on, you quinoa quaffing quails? Welcome to this week's episode of Total Pod Mode. My name is James, also known as Mr. Bames, and I'm joined as always by the wondrous Will, also known as Hoodafunk. What's up, people? Good to be here for another week. On this week's episode, we're going to do a little catch-up and some news as always, and then we're going to continue our foray into the wonderful world of Death Stranding. But before all that, let's hit those socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthrough stream highlights as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. With that said, time for some catch-up, baby. So, Will, hit me up. What have you been playing this week, man? Apart from Death Stranding, obviously. Well, James, it was actually my turn to have a bit of a flitty week this week. I kind of played a handful of games, mostly ones that I've talked about before, so I won't sort of go into too much detail about them. But I did re-enter the world of XCOM, and nice. I've added a few new characters to my roster. I've since added Big Boss uh, from Metal Gear Solid. Nice, nice. Uh, Solid Snake, Liquid Snake. Uh, I added Eva from Snakey. Just a, a bunch of uh, Metal Gear Solid characters, basically. Fair play. Makes sense. And then I just added a few Resident Evil characters as well. So okay. we've got Leon Kennedy, we've got Chris, we've got Jill. So yeah, kind of amongst my sort of friends in real world, I now have sort of main video game protagonists to kind of accompany yeah. the journey and it's it's making things fun. I was going to say, there must be some sort of cool feeling when it's like, oh shit, you just died, James. I'm just going to, I'm going to draft in Solid Snake in your place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like for like. <laughs> That's tasty. Just out of interest, have you gotten these these characters to the point where they have their own classes? Do we have any things that don't really work out? Like, is Leon Kennedy a f***ing bruiser or something? Honestly, I actually haven't worked my way through my initial roster of, of people I know in real life yet. Oh, good stuff. The worst that's happened is they've all been, like, mortally wounded or something. Yeah. But, you know, that's just, like, warrants, like, 20 days in the brig and then back out there so Hell yeah, yeah honestly doing pretty good i'm having a great time on this my experience with 40k has made a big difference in terms of yeah. uh, how much i'm enjoying this and how much like skill i'm playing this with as well because actually knowing the rules and what to do and things like that always helps it turns out yeah who knows that you make an informed decision it's usually a better one So other than XCOM, I also dipped my toes back into a little bit of Resident Evil 4, which some listeners might remember I challenged James to complete as part of the Games Challenge last year. Rocket launchers for the whim. <laughs> yeah, honestly, uh, I haven't actually gone back to your rocket launcher style playthrough. I tend to, my inventory, I like to... I like to keep it tight. It takes up a lot of space in the inventory. Oh, look at you playing the game as intended. <laughs> But I do actually like to dip my toes back into that every so often. It doesn't kind of, you know, I, I don't complete the game every time I play. It tends to be that I'll just sort of like progress the game by maybe about four or five hours every time I pick it up. That makes sense. I mean, you know it so well that you probably can just jump in. Don't need to worry about reacclimatizing yourself to the controls. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's all familiar territory. The moment I spawn in, I know where I am and what I need to exactly. do. So understandable. And then also in combination with that, I've also gone back to a little bit of smash bros world of light which is the adventure mode for that i've uh, just been sort of progressing my way across the map that i talked about before nothing really major to talk about there i've discovered a few new 
features. So I've been progressing my skill tree in the game, which has been giving me upgrades like increasing the power of attacks or making me able to stop easier from motion, which uh, isn't so much of a big deal in this one. I find that the motion's not fast and flicky enough that you really need to worry about how quickly you can stop. Yeah. Also having things like additional jump height as part of the skill tree is, is really useful to have. You can increase the strength of your shields in terms of blocking enemy attacks as well. So these are all kind of things that you just never really get to muck around with your, when you're playing with your friends because obviously yeah. everything's kind of more down to character based and you don't want to give yourself any sort of unbalanced, unfair advantage. But it's a complete free-for-all in this adventure mode. Yeah, I can imagine, to be fair. They, don't they have like a handicap system and things like that as well that you can like give yourself certain special abilities and it's probably what you're talking about now, really. But uh, That was more like the cards that you unlock, which are the spirits, and then you can kind of have sub-cards for those and those will give you all sorts of bonuses as well. So you kind of, you have your skill tree, which you can just fill out, and that's kind of like a standard universal thing across all characters. Then you also have your spirits, which you can equip and customize each character with as well. Nice. Amongst the map, you can also find shops as well in the game, which allow you to sort of pick up various items. And that's actually, it's, I think his name's Tweedle. He's actually a character from the uh, Breath of the Wild Zelda series. So they're kind of, Again, okay. working in this sort of cross IP sort of thing that Smash Bros is so well known for, which is good. It would would be take you out of the um, immersion a little bit if it didn't do something like that. I think. Yeah, absolutely. It works really well. The spirits that you're able to unlock throughout the game as you play through and defeat the other characters, you can send them down into a dungeon, and while they're there, they'll be mining for items and various sorts of bonuses that you can get, and you can just sort of play the game and carry on as you would normally. The only thing is you can't use them because they're obviously in the dungeon, so you can't use them in combat. But then if you come back after a certain amount of battles, they will hopefully have dug up a bunch of useful items for you to use. So think of it kind of like some of the systems that they have in Monster Hunter, where you like set a bunch of people off doing something, like the kind of the Argosy. Think about it exactly like that. So again, just... Other little features of the game that, you know, don't really add particularly much, but, you know, it's, it's more depth in a in an adventure mode that poorly needs it. So, yeah, no, happy with that. That's what we'd like to hear. Uh, I've also been, as normal, sticking a little bit of time into Vampire Survivors. I unlocked Excellent. a character just yesterday that actually, as you travel around, they kind of leave spikes in the ground. But then the okay. moment that you let go of the button, whichever direction that you're facing in, the spikes will shoot out the ground in a line as well. So imagine if you just walk directly upwards, but then you suddenly turn to the left, you will have a line of spikes trailing behind you that then suddenly all shoot out to the left. So you can cover a massive area. It requires a bit more concentration and a bit more control of the characters than some of the other abilities do. But if you start to get that down, it's really, really fun way to play. Increasing the area of your attacks is really effective for that yeah. one because it just makes all of the spikes in the ground that fly out a lot bigger. So that's a yeah. really good bonus to have. And yeah, that's just kind of the whole beauty of this game, isn't it? Is pairing the kind of weapon bonuses alongside the weapons to get the most use out of the ones that you're using. Exactly, and just fill that screen with things that can kill enemies. The description of that game that I first read, like, become the bullet hell, it's, it's yeah. really <laughs> becoming pretty apt now. So man, that's about it for me this week. I think I've kind of covered quite a bit of ground there in a very short space of time. Yeah, and you've also covered most most genres, actually, I think. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got some tactical, yeah. real-time strategy kind of games in there. We've got some third-person survival horrors. We've got some yeah. beat-em-up fighters. And we've got some arcade single-stick shooters. I mean, what else is there? About the only things you're missing is RPGs and Souls-like. And bro, I've got you covered. There we go! <laughs> so, I 
carried on playing Hogwarts Legacy this week, and I'm pleased to say I managed to finish Hogwarts Legacy this week as well. Nice one, man. Little bit surprised that I finished it quite as quickly as I did, I'm not going to lie. Bear in mind that I played 15 to 20 hours, something like that, then started again. I still completed it exactly two weeks to the day after I got it. About 34 hours total, my file was. And I've got to say, it didn't disappoint me. But given the size of the world, given the sort of depth and sort of variety of missions I'd had to this point, I was a little surprised there wasn't another five or ten hours. What you're saying is you want more filler content. <laughs> Give me the collectibles. No, because they've got that, and I deliberately didn't do that, so yeah. I couldn't be asked. So, no, it's not that, but it's just more of an observation. Like, I thought it was going to be a bit of a bigger game. Yeah, well, I mean, you're right. I mean, I was led to believe the scale of the game would be more so as well. Maybe some of that game time got taken up by making the environment feel alive as it did. That side of things definitely doesn't fail to disappoint. Not at all. No, the game itself doesn't disappoint at all, really. Um, as I say, that it was not a disappointment that it was so short, more of an observation, but... yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, I, I, I could spend another probably three to five hours tidying up all of the overworld puzzles that I didn't do and things like that. But because I've completed the game now and most of them seem to just give you additional abilities or effects to abilities you currently have, not really worth it. I'll probably leave that if I ever decide to go back to it and do like a proper completionist playthrough. But no, the, I liked where the story went. The, the final boss fight was pretty cool. I did actually die to it once. So oh, there you was... go. Was that your first death? I didn't die too many times. I died quite a lot for being stupid. Right, Thinking okay, you could yeah. take on more than you could without yeah. like thinking about it. But when you're actually tactical about it and think about what you're doing, it's quite easy to do stuff, particularly when you unlock some of the quote-unquote higher level spells. How does enemy levelling work in this game, if it exists at all? Do enemies have levels? It scales to you, so there is no... As far as I can see, anyway. I didn't didn't ever see anyone where I was like, red skull over the top and like, oh, don't go there yet. But, and I never... I had a few times where the levels, the enemies were under-leveled for me. Oh, okay. But that's was those were ones where it was specifically linked to like main quest lines and things like that. Sure. Thing. Overworld enemies and things just seemed to be leveled to me. And if there were areas with higher levels, you didn't find them, or you found them at appropriate time. Yeah, it either wasn't significant or I just didn't notice. Well, I was going to ask as well. So, just how challenging did you find this game in terms of? I guess I'm asking mostly in terms of combat because I've actually seen quite a few videos this week that made the combat look really nice, man. Some of the teleporting yeah. abilities that you can do, the mix of the spells. What I'm assuming, you know, if you kind of apply video game logic, is that you'll use different spells for different types of enemies. I think I yeah, I think I touched on this slightly in the first time I brought it up. Is um. If they have a purple shield, like some of the spells are attributed to that color, so you'd use like Accio to break that shield. Right, right. But when you're actually damaging the enemies themselves, it's free for all to sort of do what you want. There are cool effects that come into it, which make it quite tactical if you want. Uh, you can do some cool things. Like I, I don't want to get too into it because obviously it is a new game and people are gonna be pissed if I spoil things. But you can unlock various talents that, if you go down the dark arts route and you use the curses and stuff, you can essentially use. A curse ability to curse one enemy. You then attack that enemy, and that spreads curse onto other nearby enemies. And then you, when you get a Vada Kedavra, you can unlock a perk that means if you cast it on one person, all cursed enemies die. Right. So right. you can sort of build up curse on everyone, and then cast a Vada Kedavra and kill the whole room. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The, no, the combat's really good, man. Like, and particularly on the hardest difficulty, it's very challenging as well, which is mm. nice. As I say, the only negative I can really give it is that I had frame rate drops on occasion. And, there, you know, there were some graphical glitches and things like that. But similar to Pokemon, it's nothing that wasn't just funny. 
really. So, yeah, good times. Would thoroughly recommend if you enjoy the universe. And uh, it has got decent replayability. You know, the being in each individual house, I, th- I believe, has at least one different side quest for each one. You know, I'm not going to play it again anytime soon, I don't think, but I can see myself playing it again for sure. I'll definitely make sure to check that one out at some point, I think. I'll uh, wait for it to come down a bit in price and scoop that one up myself. The combat alone looks really fun. But no, and aside from that, I, I dipped my toes into Neo. Now, this wasn't as a result of us briefly mentioning it last week. <laughs> oh, I did wonder. Basically, I'm very much umming and ahhing about whether I want to pre-order Wolong, Fallen Dynasty. I must admit, I'm coming very close to doing this myself. I've, I've nearly bought it about three times. I'm not going to pre-order it, but whether I get this day one yeah. or not is, is definitely no, out of question. Exactly, and because it looks so f***ing good. And I thought to myself, right, I don't really know Team Ninja all that well. I know they've done the Neo games. What better way to try and make an informed decision than to jump into Neo and see if I can actually, with, with some patience and actually giving it more of a go because I don't feel I gave it a fair try last time Mm. I tried it. Mm. See what it's like, get a feel for the combat and see if it influences my decision at all to pick up Wolong. Now, I've put in three hours or so. I basically got up to where I got to last time I played. So I'm just before, not the first boss you encounter because you have that tutorial boss at the top of the Tower of London, which you may remember from when we played before. I do. But I'm at the first sort of mainline boss and I stopped there because I was was getting a bit tired and I was like, I don't want to attempt the boss while I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed when I come back to Neo, I'll, I'll pick up from there. And as a result of that, I don't really have too much to say on it. It seems very good. It was a little bit loose at first because I was used to Hogwarts Legacy and they oh, right. very wow. differently. It was loose in comparison. It, no, you're right though. It's Loose probably isn't the yeah. right term, but I know Not loose in terms whenever... of the game mechanics, loose in terms of me being able to time it. So, so there was that, but once I got into it, it was very good. I've gone slightly different this time. I think when we did... Well, we tried to play Kart. We didn't actually end up being able to play Kart. <laughs> no, we did struggle to get together, yeah. actually, didn't we? You have to, like, complete the area and then go back and yeah. help each other or something like that. So we ended up just doing the first area independently Indi- whilst yeah. on the phone to one another. <laughs> but uh, I, when I was playing that playthrough we did before, I was using sort of lighter weapons and sort of f***ing around with that. Yeah. Lightly armoured and all that good stuff. This time I've gone differently. I've gone heavy armoured and the heavy weapons. So I'm using, I think, that big old sword that you used. Uh, it's like a giant katana. It begins with O. I forget what it's called. Uh, and then the big old battle axe as well as my secondary weapon. And it turns out that unlike Dark Souls, having heavy armour and stuff doesn't actually affect your movement speed or anything like that it just makes your stamina bar drain quicker Mm, right which is an interesting take on it it means you have to be very careful with your stamina management because when you run out of stamina in this game you just fucking stop and have to catch your breath I'm using the heavy weapons like I am. It means I can have three swings and a dodge, and then I need to be very f***ing careful. So much more punishing than uh, Dark Souls or Elden Ring in that respect. Yes, but I would also hasten to add that it's also probably more punishing because I'm more used to those games as well. Like I, The amount of times I pressed B to roll, and I'm just like, no, it's A in this game. Come on. But yeah, that's really all I've got to say on that at the moment. I will endeavour to continue playing it, even though I do appreciate that I've just completed a game and then I've put another one on the f***ing list so the list never goes down. But hey, there we go. The life of being a gamer, eh? I might get behind you on this one, man. I mean, given the flitty week that I've had, Neo is sounding pretty good to me right now. Especially with your reasoning that this is all sort of in preparation and in advance for Wulong. So now that we're all caught up, buddy, I think it's time that we uh, crack open a jar of the news. So our first news story this week is good news if you're a Nintendo Switch owner and are looking to play some 
Call of Duty. Call of Duty is coming to the Switch for the first time since 2013, which was Ghosts. So, f***ing hell, guys. Long time. Long old time, and that was a sh game to end on, like, jeez. But no, so for the first time since 2013, Microsoft and Nintendo are entering in a historic Call of Duty agreement. Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith has said that a binding 10-year agreement has been reached, which will mean Call of Duty will be available for Switch users, quote... The same day as Xbox with full feature content and parity. End quote. I didn't want to get into this this early, but I just can't resist saying it. But see, Sony, it's not that hard. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> and this is why I bring this story up, because in the same statement, um, which was part of a wider press conference about this deal, and they've already they've also signed a 10-year deal with um, NVIDIA for cloud services as well. And I'm going to read the quote directly from um, this MSN article I've got here, because it's just quite amusing to me. It's no coincidence that Brad Smith's announcement ends by stating that, quote, Microsoft are committed to providing long-term equal access to Call of Duty to other gaming platforms, bringing more choice to players and more competition to the gaming market. Uh, it's, a clear, it's clear that the gaming giant is attempting to counter the idea that they've cultivated monopoly within the industry. And what's also fun about this statement is that he actually... like. I read this in a different article, which I stupidly haven't got in front of me, but he said something along the lines of, you know, it's, it's interesting that this is a big problem because Sony have a 70-30 market share. They sell a lot more consoles than us and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, whilst all true, what they've essentially done is they've painted Sony as the big evil, even though Microsoft have all this money too, right? But... They're getting, it's quite shrewd because they're getting everyone else on board. They've agreed the 10-year deals and it is making Sony look like arseholes, frankly. Which we've said all along, but it's just quite amusing now that it's really gone public and actually calling them out publicly like this is very amusing to me. What do you think about it, man? Well, I think the thing that I'm kind of most interested about is the fact that they've said that this will have full feature and content parity for the Switch. Because in the back of my head, i got to say, like, how the hell is Switch going to manage... Uh, 100 plus, I think it's like 120, 140 players on a Warzone. And if it's content parity, then surely that means Warzone's coming to the Switch at some point. I mean, although it will directly affect the Switch, this isn't directly in reference to the Switch. This is to Nintendo as a whole, isn't it? So the implication, I mean, 10 years, I mean, God, I'd be amazed if Nintendo don't push out something, at least a Switch too. But typically, Call of Duty games on Nintendo consoles with the exclusion of Ghosts, at least to my knowledge, they were always sort of like slimmed down experiences that would offer like either a slightly different, more tailored campaign or the gameplay elements would be kind of more tailored. I'm thinking more like the Wii generation as well as the Nintendo, sort of the more handheld Call of Duty titles as well. But even the Wii versions were sort of slimmed down or altered experiences. Not very many of them actually do offer content parity. So this is going to be quite a big step for them in terms of actually fitting complete content parity onto the Switch. And I'm somewhat doubtful that it will actually i mean they might manage it but whether anyone wants to play it will be another another matter altogether well yeah but the one well, and it raises another interesting point is that were nintendo owners particularly clamoring for call of duty anyway if it's not been there for 10 years who knows i think that this move is really mainly done as a marketing ploy to show the cma and the ftc like hey guys other people are on board and they're cool with it like there's no issue here everyone else is fine sony are being basically that's that's what i think they've done there's nothing they lose from this nintendo aren't a main rival in terms of console sales because nintendo are kind of their own thing right? yeah league of their own yeah exactly so they just do their own thing so there's no harm in that it's literally just pr for me but very very amusing pr so keep it up microsoft keep on putting those jabs in it's very entertaining microsoft is finally getting its long overdue turn to start sending some jabs back at sony 
Our second news story today is uh, kind of rumoury, but with some basis in fact. Rumours and speculations? Us? Never. Nah, we only deal in solid facts. <laughs> I have to, to talk about facts, because I think it's important. We have a couple of potentially interesting titles slated for E3 this year. The first thing we've got is um, Warner Brothers have unintentionally leaked that they're working on Mortal Kombat 12 as part of their earnings call. Oh, right, they've just sent that out, and it's obviously public information, and yeah. it's on the sheet. Oh, they, they didn't think of a uh, code name, no? No, they just literally said, yeah, we're still working on Mortal Kombat 12. They normally like to do their announcements at things like E3 or another sort of showcase show like that, so to have it f***ing leaked on their earnings call is hilarious to me. And this is the one that's probably going to interest you a bit more, my friend. Konami are reportedly going to show up with... A new Castlevania game alongside the long-rumoured and long-awaited for fans remake of Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. Go. Go what? Don't give me hope. The last thing I'll say on this before I jump in for your opinion, because I know that the other, you'll have strong opinions on that, is they've also said that this could be accompanied, emphasis on the could, this could be accompanied by some form of showing or update of at least some of the Silent Hills titles they're working on as well. Well, i got to say, right off the bat of this, I'd be interested to see, seeing as that this is, at this point, mostly rumours and speculation, I'd be interested to see whether that last sentence was shoved in there as a qualifier, because I yeah. think no sh we're probably going to see at least some of the Silent Hill games that are also in development. They've been teasing that stuff for a long enough time now. If Konami's showing up, there'd be absolute fools not to show a little bit more of this. Whether that be gameplay, whether that be a few more cutscenes and things like that, who knows. And, and don't put it beyond Konami to be fools. I mean, you know, they did release Metal Gear Survivors, so... <laughs> Hey, man, they needed to make all that money they sunk in the Fox engine. They needed to bust out at least another title. You can't just make an entire engine for a single game. At least not in no. this video game climate. <laughs> or half a game, because they didn't let him finish it. Anyway. And also, I think the news about Metal Gear Solid 3 is, is really interesting. I'd heard rumours about this earlier on in the year, but at this point, it's kind of a meme. As co-fans of Bloodborne, we're kind of used to dealing with this sort of rumours all the time. I'm constantly hearing about rumours of Bloodborne coming to PC, and this is just kind of very much another one of those where I have a, like a Twitter watch out for when does Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater remake come? The answer is probably never, but never give out hope, James. You just never give out hope. Well, I'm here for it. So it's the only game, the only Metal Gear game I've finished. That is true. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm here for it in the sense of I think it will be cool. But and, is like, it I'm here the... for you, James? Who well, knows? Who knows? This kind of falls in the same category as the Resident Evil 4 remake for me. I really liked the game when I played it. I'm definitely going to check it out, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not chomping at the bit to get it. Right, fair enough. Mortal Kombat 12, though, I couldn't give any less of a shit about, honestly. I haven't really seen how they're pulling this one forward, and I didn't like the direction they started to take in Mortal Kombat 11. So, yeah, this one's kind of, this is very much back burner. I'll play it if I get a chance, but uh, we'll have to see. Maybe we'll get some new fatalities. Who knows? If there's one thing to look forward to on the release of any Mortal Kombat game, it's always the fatality compilation that will be incoming on YouTube within a day or two. Yeah, respect to whoever makes those. Yeah. We like those. <laughs> And our final news story today uh, is another one that's quite funny, sort of lighthearted a little bit, unless you're playing the game, I suppose. But Ubisoft is taking a stand against mouse and keyboard cheaters. 
in Rainbow Six Siege on console, stating that they will be clamping down on people who use devices such as the XIM and Cronus, which basically emulate a controller using a mouse and keyboard, as they give players an unfair advantage against controller users. Apparently Ubisoft have a tool which can detect when these devices are in use, which they will use to flag players, but interestingly, not ban them. In my opinion, Ubisoft can't afford to decrease their player base given their current situation, which is probably why they've made that decision. But basically all they're going to do if they catch people using these is they're going to basically increase the latency. For Artificial latency with... increase. Yeah. Interesting. To, to mess with their aiming and things of that nature. But they don't want to ban people because they need those player bases. So. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a very dedicated community that Rainbow Six has. That game, against all odds, is just still going strong and has completely outlived Rainbow Six's attempt at trying to knock that one off with the Outbreak version of the game that was released. That didn't do anything. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. By sort of cutting away at this player base that I definitely wouldn't call it dwindling by any regards, but it's definitely one of those ones where it's a select few now that are staying with it, and I'm sure they pull in a new few players every time they release a content update. This is an interesting one. This is kind of opposing the direction that games is going these days, which is increasingly, you know, and to a lot of people's disappointment and annoyance, they're actually combining lobbies with controller players and mouse and keyboard players, and cross-play seems to be the way things are going, and more and more people are opting to be in those mixed lobbies. At the back of my head, I thought Rainbow Six had almost already gone cross-play, but I guess that's obviously not a thing. And, I mean, just based on this, it sounds like they would, wouldn't really go in that direction anyway. It sounds like even for future titles, it's unlikely that we'll see cross-play if they're already flagging and trying to sort of make it harder for console players to play with keyboard and mouse players. I don't know enough about the game, so I don't know if it's a case of Rainbow Six Siege has strictly has console-only lobbies and strictly has PC lobbies, in which case they're right to do this because it would give an unfair advantage. If it's a mixed lobby, you know what you're getting into. If people think they're on console only, I can kind of see it. Oh, yeah, that's. I think that's yeah. a different kettle of fish. Yeah. So, But I don't know enough about the game to know if that's what the deal is. But you raise an interesting point there, man. The world is definitely moving towards more cross-play, rightly so, in my opinion. So maybe it is just a case of if you're not expecting it, it's a dick move. Who knows? And with that, we come to the end of the news for this week. So now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Come join us as we continue our adventures in Death Stranding at Completionist Corner. Here we go for the Completionist's Corner. So welcome back to Completionist Corner. We're going to hand us over to the wondrous Will to pick up where we left off last week. Take it away, bud. So on our second part of Death Stranding as part of Completionist's Corner, we rejoin Sam as he rides the elevator up from his private room after taking a rest at Port Knot City. He plugs his bridge baby into his suit and sees another vision. This time, the mysterious man who appears in BB's flashbacks is standing in the same room as before and speaking to BB, who is, of course, still inside the pod. The man assures BB that when he is older, he will take him to lots of places, even to outer space. Particularly referencing the moon, I believe. Yes, yeah, he shows him a big picture of the moon and the earth. Yeah. The vision then ends as Sam arrives at the top floor of the elevator next to the terminal. So... Now it's time to head up the ramp out of the delivery bay and onwards to the boat owned by Fragile Express and head west across the giant void-out-made ocean that's directly in the middle of North America. As Sam gets to the top of the ramp, he notices there's some pretty severe timefall landing outside. Timefall, for those who need reminding, is the deadly rainy weather condition that's caused by high atmospheric levels of chiralium. 
Corellium, for those who also need reminding, is the substance that started to appear shortly after the Death Stranding took place. Does your head hurt yet? <laughs> Sam also notices dead crabs littering the ground outside, which weren't there on entering the building. Keen-eyed people will probably notice that the crabs closely resemble the ones washed up in the beach that Sam sees in his dreams. Mm -hmm. Another quick recap. The beach <laughs> in this universe is actually a sort of purgatory area where people's spirits end up before they die. Uh, everyone in this universe has a separate beach of their own, unique to them. Sam is able to visit his beach in his dreams as he is a repatriate. A repatriate is someone who's able to return from death via the beach. If your head wasn't hurting before, how about now? How about now? <laughs> we should periodically check up on just how much people's yeah. heads are hurting. <laughs> so, as Sam reaches the top of the ramp, suddenly BB wakes up and activates Sam's Odredex sensor, which allows the BB, who is able to bridge the gap between life and death, to see and warn Sam of nearby ghostly BTs. Sam is suddenly grabbed from underneath by faceless dark figures, in other words, BTs, who emerge from a thick black liquid as it swells from the ground and begins to swallow up the floor around it. Sam is dragged by the BTs along the ground, far away from the entrance to Port Knot City. The BTs eventually slow down and relax their grip, sinking back into the floor. As Sam recovers, he sees the ominous, gold-masked, caped stranger standing just away from him. Oh, this motherfucker, man. Yeah, exactly. This is the same person who also appears to have a BB pod connecting to his chest, who appeared from the sky just before Central North City was destroyed in the Void Out explosion that took place at the start of the game last week. Doesn't he give you a little point as well? Is that all right? He does. He likes to hush yeah. you and then point at you. Yeah. Uh, if anyone remembers, this really reminds me strongly of Revolver Ocelot from the Snake Eater game. He does a lot of pointing and flicking as well. So this figure hasn't been seen since the beginning of the game. However, he did survive the blast, which was supposedly meant to have killed everyone else except for Sam and BB. So I think he's got some explaining to do. Certainly has. How the f*** did you get away from that, son? And where the f*** did you come from, too? You just appeared out of nowhere. He likes to do that. He does. The stranger brings his hands out to his sides and levitates off the ground by lifting a rock that he was standing on. And he introduces himself as Higgs. He's pretty grandiose. He describes himself as the particle of God that permeates all existence. Higgs boson particle. Yep. This is the leader of the Homo Demons, the terrorist separatist faction who are trying to stop Bridges from uniting everyone and reconnecting America. Higgs also notices Fragile, who was standing with her umbrella far away on the roof back to Port Knot. Higgs calls to her and taunts that she's the one who drags Sam into all this. He then flicks his hand and Fragile's umbrella is knocked away, causing her to rapidly have to teleport away in a flash to avoid being hit by the timefall rain. Not a nice guy, this Higgs. As Sam turns back away from Fragile, Higgs is now suddenly standing right in front of his face and takes a good old sniff of Sam. He gets in your personal space, this fella, doesn't he, he Higgs? He does, he does. He's fond of the sniffing and the face licking. He's one of those guys. He then explains he knows that Bridget Strand, the last president of America, and also the mother of Sam and Amelie, is dead. How the hell does he know that? He also reveals that he's aware that Amelie has been chosen to succeed Bridget and take on her ultimate goals of leading Bridges in reuniting and reconnecting America following the Death Stranding. He also explains he's trying to find Amelie, although his plans seem much more nefarious than that. And I was also a little bit confused by this because... According to our understanding, Amelie's supposed to be captive by the homo demons, which was a point you raised last week, whether yeah. that, you know, just how much sense that makes. An interesting yeah, point. It is an interesting point. During this conversation, Higgs is randomly teleporting around Sam in what appears to be the same way as Fragile does with her chiral dooms powers. This sort of suggests that Higgs is also a doom sufferer. However, Higgs is clearly 
at a much more advanced phase of Dooms, and therefore he's a higher level than Fragile or Sam. And as such, in addition to teleporting, he's also seemingly able to control Timefall, as well as levitate and manip objects via telekinesis. Higgs explains that he has come to understand the truth of the Death Stranding. He refers to someone as the girl, probably meaning Amelie, claiming that she doesn't have Dooms, and in fact, she's more into destruction and death on a worldwide scale. But what could he mean? Yeah. Higgs then thrusts his hands forward and they emanate a black smog around them. He says, It's hard to make connections when you can't shake hands, but I've got a good connection to the other side, likely referring to the beach. Higgs goes on to claim he is connected to the living world, the beach, and Amelie, this time referring to her as an angel of death. He then stretches out his fingers and long black strands extend from his fingertips that fall down into the ground. As Higgs begins to pull on the rope-like strands, they drag across the inky floor, and in a huge splash, a dark mass is pulled from beneath the surface of the ground. Yeah, almost like on reins with with his hand thingy strand things. He's like puppeteering them out of the ground, yeah. So this giant black mass is kind of shaped like a whale with tentacles covering its body, and it's writhing violently all over the place. Yeah, I saw giant squid, so interesting you saw whale, but that's probably, I just saw the tentacles and was like, squid. Provided that Sam has done a good job so far of avoiding the smaller BTs in his encounters up to this point, this may well be the first giant BT that Sam has encountered on his journey. Yes. Higgs tells Sam he's on the menu and reminds him that when he's consumed by the colossal BT, it will trigger a void-out explosion that will wipe out the whole area off the map, port not included. Yeah, and uh, given the difference in size between this BT and the ones that ate our driver friend and uh, Igor earlier in the game, would be a bigger explosion, I'd assume, because this BT was a good four or five times the size as the ones that were present in the first explosion. That's a very fair thing to assume, although I think that in reality, actually, the size of the explosion is dependent on the person consumed, and Sam as a repatriate actually just has much smaller explosions than regular people that are consumed. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. But an absolutely fair assumption, you would think that the bigger the BT, the bigger the boom. Yeah. In a typical Kojima-style fourth-wall-breaking line, Higgs asks Sam, So how about it? Aren't you getting tired of the grind? Isn't this what you've been waiting for this whole time? A game over. I loved that line, can I just say. I don't think I necessarily took it as like, I don't know if it's an Easter egg from something else. I just loved that as like a, yeah, gaming. (laughs) Higgs then holds his finger to his mouth and teleports away, leaving Sam in the open, surrounded by objects that appear to be from the past. Things like cars, buses, and old buildings floating and sinking into the tar-covered ground. The giant tentacle whale slash squid, BT, is eyeing Sam up from across the way and slowly making its way towards him. Emphasis on the word slowly. Shambly motherfucker. Yeah. Sam uses the buildings and cars to stay at a distance from the giant BT who is trying to crash into him. Sam throws hematic grenades, which are weapons filled with his aerosolized blood, at the BT in order to defeat it. Sam also might be helped by white silhouettes emerging from the water. Did you notice any of these white silhouettes in your game, James? I did not notice any of these white silhouettes, no. But given what's gone before, I can imagine these are spirits of the dead or some such that would help you or something like that. They are in a way. Other players? That's right. Yeah, so these white silhouettes are actually the spirits of other online players that have opted to send tools to 
to Sam during the fight. So other yeah. players can actually contribute to your boss fight by chucking you useful items. If you see them and you get near them, this white silhouette will start chucking packages at you and they will include useful things typically like hematic grenades, you know, maybe... Yeah, so you see, I saw the items come up, but I never saw the, the throws. The That's chucking really them. cool. Yeah. So I was like, oh, how did these 18 packets of grenades suddenly appear <laughs> yeah, on the battlefield? Yeah, yeah. And what I then, interestingly, again, a bit ahead of what I did when I defeated the boss, I picked up everything. And because it's right outside a distribution centre, I then went inside that distribution centre and put it all in the shared locker. There you go, man. That's the communal way of living. Exactly. Yeah. It's give, giving back, man. It's giving back. I was like, these came to me. I didn't use them. I'm now going to put them back. You can tell that you are properly engaging with the way that uh, Death Stranding was intended to be played. <laughs> So, with enough hematic grenades, eventually Sam is able to damage the BT enough that it finally succumbs before slowly solidifying and turning into gold, and then shattering and blowing away into shining chiral crystal dust. Sam actually collects a, a goddamn wealth of chiral crystals from this spot, yeah. and then he heads back inside for shelter. Yeah, and, and a fucking rest, probably. A good old he nap. He literally just walked out just to like get on a boat, and then he just, like, squid whaley boy attacked him, you know? <laughs> it's just like, oh, damn. At this point, Hartman, the researcher, calls you to say that you're the first person in human history to ever defeat a BT. And it probably wouldn't have been possible were Sam not a repatriate. He confirms that by using Sam's blood as a weapon, they were able to send BTs back to the beach. So, Sam, as a repatriate, and therefore unable to die, is able to travel to and from the beach with the help of Amelie. However, Sam's body is rejected by the beach and sent back each time he dies. And this is meant to, this is part of his repatriate ability, and this is also meant to explain how Sam's blood acts as a way of dispelling BTs back to the beach. Yeah, which does make sense in a very Kojima way. In a, yes, I was going to say, it loosely makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> After a quick shower, to get all the chiral sludge off, Sam is now ready to jump on board the ship and head west. Just as Sam approaches the dock, Fragile appears in a flash behind him and is eating another tasty crypto-bio snack. She really loves those crypto-bios. She talks to Sam about Higgs. Fragile explains that based on Higgs's powers, he's probably level 7 dooms or higher. And I yeah. think they mentioned that last week Sam is a level 2 dooms, so Fragile has to fall somewhere in between the sort of 3 to 6 range. Fragile reveals that she used to work with Higgs in the past, and Sam's obviously pretty alarmed to find out that Fragile had worked with terrorists before. She does go on to explain that Higgs hadn't become a terrorist yet back then, but she won't really reveal much more either. She's clearly quite cagey about her past. At this point, Sam begins to question her motives for helping, but Fragile refuses to really elaborate any further, saying that she just wishes things were different. Uh, she then points to the boat, which bears the mark of Fragile Express, and her and Sam begin to board. Ocean trip, baby! <laughs> boat trip! And James, this is the beginning of Chapter 3 of Death Stranding, this one called Fragile. And I have to say, up to this point, it was a very, very great introduction into the story and stuff, and that final fight was just... It was such a nice way to be sent off to, like, the mainland, for lack of a better phrase that's not quite correct but but yeah thought it was a really cool send-off so now on the boat sam stares out at the ocean from the deck fragile approaches and explains that they'll arrive at some point in the next day and sam just sort of fucks her off doesn't he basically yeah yeah <laughs> he's really at this point sam is still kind of rejecting most social contacts and fragile yeah. seems very overly keen to engage with sam and 
He's just not having it. Yeah, I'm definitely getting sort of, and this is me being a gamer, right? I'm getting like video game romance vibes. Yeah, <laughs> I like how like you have to separate bit. the category. It's not romance vibes, it's, it's video game. It's a different bar of romance. Yeah. <laughs> video yeah, game, yeah. you know, the one where they just kind of like fall in love over the course of two days and decide to have kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's bringing him out of his shell. Yeah, trying to. slowly, slowly over the course of yeah. three hours. <laughs> As Sam begins to unload his gear and sets down the bridge baby, the picture of Amelie, his mother, and him falls out of his suit and is carried away by the breeze. Fragile retrieves the photo and gives it back to him and refers to an earlier conversation they had, saying, I've told you before, Sam, the past just won't let go. And I've told you before, Sam, you need f***ing pockets, don't just put it in your chest. Get a goddamn zipper or something, a button press, anything, Just get a fanny pack, mate. Or bum bag for us UK people. Yeah. I'm amazed that given all the different storage options in that game, that Sam doesn't have some sort of bum bag to uh, kind of increase his carry capacity. Soy out, Kojima. <laughs> that's, that's Death Stranding too, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. As they sit, Fragile looks like she has something on her mind. She asks Sam for a favour, something to do with the leader of Homo Demons, Higgs. However, as she looks over to Sam, he is now fast asleep and lightly snoring. Fucking legend. This guy falls asleep at the drop of a hat, doesn't he? He, he loves really does, his naps. Yeah. The scene fades to a vision from Sam's dream. Amelie is walking down the deck of the boat towards him. In the dream, the boat is surrounded by a thick mist, whereas when Sam was awake, the day was sunny and clear. Amelie calls to Sam, who is still holding the Polaroid in his hand in his dream. Sam wakes with a start and joins Amelie, who is now standing by the edge of the deck looking outwards. Amelie then points and signals away in the distance, where Sam can see another Amelie on a distant beach walking up to a small boy laying in the sand. Presumably, that's a little Sam. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, this seems to be kind of like a memory of Sam's from within his dream. Amelie explains that before she met Sam as a child, she wasn't even aware of her own existence, and that living is essentially no different from being dead if you're all alone. Which is a very interesting reveal, given that I was under the impression she was his sister, so the fact that they'd met then... Interesting. Amelie, who still appears in the memory as she does to adult Sam, sits down next to child Sam and tells him it's time to go home. Child Sam's reluctant and says he wants to stay on the beach, but then he sits up and takes a few steps forwards before beginning to cry. It's kind of interesting here, I don't know if you noticed, but child Sam, when he's crying then, he kind of drops to his knees in the same fashion that adult Sam does at the very beginning of the game, when he's sort of wiping tears away from his face and the BB disappears. Yeah, and the other thing I thought was interesting about this is I wasn't sure if it was tears of sadness or tears because he's allergic to um, Chirillium at this point. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all quite confusing. Because it's on the beach and, uh, and you know, there's I'm not ruling out Amelie being somehow made of Chirillium or some shit. I, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, this game, man, this game... <laughs> In the memory, Amelie hands Child Sam a dreamcatcher, the same one that Sam still carries with him as an adult, and tells him it will keep the nightmares away. So, it seems that Child Sam has forgotten how to return from the beach, and Amelie offers to help him by taking him halfway. Child Sam takes Amelie's hand, and they both walk away down the beach together. The camera then pulls back to adult Sam and Amelie, now standing on the beach, watching their past selves walk away into the distance. Very much like uh, the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Amelie reminds Sam that they used to meet and play on the beach quite often in the past. Sam tells Amelie that he wasn't able to make the trip on his own, and Amelie was actually the one who brought him to the beach each time. Amelie explains to Sam that, as long as a person has a physical body to return to in the physical world, it's not possible for people to come and go from the beach as they please. Amelie tells Sam she'll never be able to return east with him until he reconnects America, or in her own words, makes everyone whole again. Sam's dream suddenly ends as he is awoken by the horn of the ship, signalling its arrival at Lake Knot City, 
on the western side of the giant void-out-made lake in the middle of North America. At this point, it's worth noting that a lot of the inhabitants refer to the lake crater as Ground Zero, obviously referring to the fact that Central North America was the site of the initial void-out explosions brought on by the Death Stranding. Sam steps off the boat, says his goodbyes for now to Fragile, and carries a few packages that are left on the side over to the delivery terminal in Lake Knot City. After delivering the packages to a guy called William Lake, Sam connects the first link in the central region of America to the chiral network, and Lake Knot joins the United Cities of America, or the UCA. Emily appears to Sam via the terminal and tells Sam things will be a lot harder for him in the central region. The area used to house three main cities, which were Lake Knot, Middle Knot, and South Knot, who were previously all on board with joining the UCA. However, separatist terrorists blew up Middle Knot using nuclear weapons from the time before the Death Stranding. They also attacked South Knot and managed to kill off half the population there in explosions too. Real cool guys. Yeah, these homo demons terrorists, they're really yeah. fing shit up in the central region. So Bridges, at this point, simply doesn't have the time or the resources to recreate cities on the same scale as before. So, in order to establish and enable coverage of the chiral network in the region, Sam will need the support from every survivor in the area. Since the terrorists destroyed Middle Knot City and attacked South Knot, the survivors and doomsday preppers out in the wasteland are very suspicious of strangers, and particularly of Bridges, especially around their motivations for setting up the chiral network and the reasons for connecting everyone. Yeah, because worth noting, obviously, a lot of these people had been spoken to by Amelie in the past and the old, uh, the uh, the initial movement east. Yeah, Bridges won and, the first expedition. Yeah, so a lot of them had already sort of said no and weren't really up for the idea. Already had that distrust. Many people in this area have been living by themselves for years and they don't really see any need or hope of ever living back in a connected world. Sam will need to prove to the locals that he's working with Fragile Express to slowly earn their trust so that they agree to join the chiral network and boost the network signal. Yeah, as well as share ideas and uh, potentially some other cool stuff with the yeah. rest of the network. new tech. Sam goes for a rest in his private room and wakes up to a vision of Amelie on the beach again. It's another flashback from the past. Child Sam runs up and embraces Amelie. Child Sam gives Amelie a necklace called a kipu and tells her it means not in other languages. Amelie tells Child Sam that she'll treasure it and she'll tie another knot in the kipu whenever he comes to visit her. Amelie also tells Child Sam that the kipu must be very special to him if he was able to bring it with him to the beach, and he says that he made it for her. Sam then wakes up in his private room, and Fragile was in the room watching him sleep. She likes to do this, it's, it's very odd, creepy. Fragile gives Sam a wristband, which acts as a token of alliance to Fragile Express, and it's made from Fragile's blood and chiral crystals, in the same fashion that Sam's rope is made from. Sam can use this to begin to earn the trust of the survivors living out in the wasteland. Because nothing says trust me like having someone else's bodily fluids on your person. Around your wrist. <laughs> <laughs> Fragile explains that Fragile Express was the only courier service out in the central region previously, and they were held in really high regard by the people living out there. That is, before she claims that Higgs betrayed her and f***ed it all up. Now, Fragile's reputation, including the reputation of her courier company, isn't what it once was. Although not everyone in the area believes the rumours, there are some that believe that Fragile is also a terrorist because of her history with Higgs and the Homo Demons. Fragile also goes on to explain that she's able to use her connection to the beach to teleport. She can use it to jump across time and space, however, she can't summon BTs like Higgs can. This also means that she's able to, like Higgs, travel to the beach, if she wants. However, she's only able to access the beach and use it in the way she knows and understands. As I mentioned briefly before, everyone has their own unique beach, it's not just one giant shared space for everyone, and Fragile kind of refers to this as a multiverse system, just to kind of 
further explain it. Yeah, explain as opposed to muddying the water. <laughs> yeah, <more>. even further. <laughs> <laughs> so after a very extravagant demonstration of her teleport abilities, tears begin to stream down Fragile's face, and she also has a kind of a black, bloody nosebleed. Uh, this is all in reaction to her close proximity and use of chiral energy, which sufferers of dooms react to in this kind of semi-allergic manner. Sam has a similar reaction when closely encountering BTs. Or when cupiding people. Yes, that's right. Again, it's like a sudden surge of chiral energy. Yeah. Fragile tells Sam that her space jumps take a lot out of her, and the process also drains some of her blood each time. Fragile seems to replenish this blood supply by eating cryptobiotes, which explains why she always seems to have some handy. See, it all was explained eventually. Fragile tells Sam that he is only able to bring certain personal effects with him when she helps him fast travel. This includes things like his cufflinks, the bridge baby, his Ludens figurine, his dreamcatcher, the photo he has of himself, Amelie, and Bridget, as well as his Cupid. But not packages, because that would break the game. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. And again, they've got a justification for this as well. So the reason for this follows the same logic where Amelie told Child Sam that in order for him to bring his Kipu gift to her on the beach, it must have meant a lot to him. Uh, So this is any sort of items that have a strong personal emotional connection, as they mentioned that chiral energy is closely related to emotions, that does then enable it to be travelling through the chiral network. And as James correctly mentioned there, packages aren't labeled to because Sam's not about to form an emotional connection to a pair of boots that he's got to lug over to the next distribution centre. But it is very nice in that it automatically puts it in the private locker of the place you fast travelled from. Yes, So this is also kind of interesting that despite the fact that Sam habitually rejects connections and avoids contact with people, he does choose to carry so many items with him that represents his bonds to different individuals. And obviously they clearly mean something to him because they're able to be transported to the beach. Yes. Fragile warns that Edgenot City, Sam's final, ultimate destination of his journey, is absolutely full of terrorists. However, if this is indeed where he intends to end up, he'll need to defeat Higgs at some point. Sam says he's really not into the whole killing monsters and terrorists type of deal, and all he really wants to do is make deliveries and find Amelie. Fragile offers to help Sam by helping him to teleport to areas, any area, in fact, that is connected to the chiral network, using her chiral dooms powers. In return, all Fragile asks is that Sam consider her request for revenge and to defeat Higgs. Fragile then picks up her umbrella and leaves it in a corner of Sam's private room, explaining that it will keep the two of them connected. This umbrella can be used in the game to summon Fragile so Sam can use her abilities to fast travel along the chiral network. Which is useful in a very specific scenarios, but isn't massively useful for the game at large. When you want to go back to the starting area potentially and pick up the stuff that you haven't done or do whatever, it's great that you can just jump straight back there. That's the main reason to use it, is to go from literally point Z to point A or point A to point Z, like it's one of those ones. As Sam leaves his room and travels up the elevator, he sees another vision of our mystery man from the past. We've seen a lot of this guy at this point in the game, and we're still really not any closer to figuring out what's his purpose, other than the fact that he clearly, you know, is in BB's past. Probably BB's dad, it seems. And obviously, again, you assume that there's a woman lying in the bed is BB's still mother. The main objective in the central region is to get enough local people on side to agree to join the chiral network so that they can boost the chiral network signal all the way back down to cover the whole central region, including the remaining survivors in South Knot City. The first three survivors Sam encounters are the Engineer, the Elder, and the Craftsman. Sam meets up with the three survivors, who in turn provide him with new technology to fabricate and use. Yeah. The Elder's a little bit of a difficult one, though. He's not fully committed at first. He's like, I'm not sure about you. 
You're going to have to do some more work for me. That's exactly right. Eventually it comes around, though. So he's happy to join the network, but he doesn't want to join Bridges and form a full contract. He just wants yeah. to do a partial contract. And as Fragile mentioned before, not everyone in the Central Region trusts Fragile Express or Bridges, based on the fact that they seem to rile up the terrorists and cause them to start blowing shit up. Yeah. Although some people are happy to join the network, like the Engineer, However, people just don't trust Bridges enough yet to become part of the UCA, uh, just in case they incite the wrath of the terrorists. Understandable, given what we've seen of Higgs so far. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good at their acts of terrorism, so I can appreciate yeah. that. Also, I mean, just the fact that you could send a person off to shoot themselves in the head and enact a nuclear explosion, it's like, it's pretty effective. Terrorism, yeah. at that point, you're playing on easy mode. The deck is stacked. <laughs> yeah. The Craftsman is the most mistrusting of the three survivors, and will take some extra convincing before joining the network. To do this, Sam needs to travel to an old ruined shopping centre nearby which was blown up by the terrorists, and is now surrounded by BTs, and retrieve his bag of tools. So a bit of a side note here, as Sam continues to reconnect the knots to the chiral network and establish routes between the various prepper survivors, he might start to encounter other porters along on their journey. Yes. It can be pretty damn beneficial to stop by and say hey, and maybe even chuck a few likes their way, because if Sam does this, they can boost your stamina by sending likes back, and they might even give you some useful tools to take. So in this case, I bumped into some guys, and one of them actually offered me some hematic anti-BT grenades right before nice. going to this area, which was super useful. Uh, I only had one reserve pack left, so it was perfect for what I needed. Hell yeah. The porters also might use structures like ladders and climbing rope that Sam has built along his routes, which can earn you additional likes. Have you yes. seen that pop up? Like a porter gave you one. I have, life and I didn't know what the fuck it was. I was yeah. like, "What?" We kind of loads of people called porter, right? There's got to be something. Yeah. So yeah. I, knew, I knew it was in the game, but I didn't know what it was. And then, like, way later, way later, I saw like two figures just walking up a hill that I was uh, heading towards. Yeah. And I was like, "Those kind of look like mules." I'm gonna go try and see what's up. <laughs> you pull out the assault rifle. <laughs> no, I did. I was like, I went up to them, but then I saw they weren't being ag aggressive or anything. So I was like, what's going on? And then they turned to me and they like waved and held out a blood pack and a grenade. Mm. And I was like, what? So I just, I didn't take anything, but I was like, I gave them a like and whatever. And they liked me back. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. It's the porter. It's the porters. Okay, yeah. I now know who they are. Yeah, it's yeah, cool. Really cool. After sneaking into the shopping centre and managing to avoid the BTs using the hematic grenades wherever possible, or just sneaking in like I did, Sam retrieves the toolbox from the craftsman's old shelter and manages to make it back in one piece. The craftsman almost can't believe his eyes when he sees Sam holding the toolbox on his return. He thought he'd given Sam an impossible mission to deter him from any further attempts at getting him to try and join Bridges. The craftsman comes to the conclusion that safety in numbers is actually better protection from the terrorists, especially if Sam's on the side of the good guys. So the craftsman then agrees to join the network, although he still has reservations about joining the UCA for now. A lot of these people that have reservations about joining the UCA but join the network, as you sort of progress and increase your connection level with them, build a better relationship, they often eventually come around to join the UCA as well. Whilst helping out the Elder and the Engineer on his travels, Sam also gets a few goodies from them. Most notably, he receives a power skeleton from the Engineer, which allows Sam to move faster while carrying much more weight. It kind of acts like an exoskeleton to increase Sam's leg and back strength. Sam also receives a bowler gun, complete with schematics from the Engineer for retrieving his tools. 
A bowler gun, for those who aren't aware, is a weapon that has two weighted objects connected by a string. When fired, the weights combined with the rope cause it to wrap around whatever it makes contact with. It's a really great weapon for dealing with those troublesome mules that keep on trying to steal Sam's packages. Yeah, and I've got to say that these two items that we've just received here are, so far in my opinion, two of the most important items in the game. A game changer. Literally, that exoskeleton is a game changer. Yes. Instantly go from 120 kilo capacity to 250. Yeah, Instantly. Yeah. And the game gives you a gun for the first time as well. It's yeah. a bowler gun, but it is a gun. <laughs> yeah, but this this gun saved my ass like Absolutely. multiple it's, times. Yeah. If you don't miss, it's, it's technically a one hit, not kill, yeah. but a one hit incapacitate. Provided you follow out with a swift kick to the head. I was about to say, depending on where you shoot them, you get different things. If you shoot them in the ankle, sometimes they stay standing and can escape. Yeah, that's right. It's so cool. Hit them in the chest and they sort of fall over and they're all right. If you hit them in the neck, though, they seem to like pass out. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you can sort of strangle them. Yes, yeah, there's a lot of variation Really, there. really cool. So much depth. So Mama, who is working for Bridges to support Sam's cause, also phones in to say that if they were to swap out the usual bowler string for rope threaded with Sam's blood, it might even be effective against BTs. However, for now... This is primarily for living human targets. So, Sam takes the bowler gun and moves on to the next order. Die Hardman congratulates Sam on his progress connecting everyone so far up to the network, and he then asks Sam to go and collect a system server at Lake Knot that contains information that will allow Bridges to become manufacturing automated delivery services. The server has been stolen by mules and is currently sitting in a nearby camp, so Sam needs to sneak in and collect it from one of their mule post boxes. What better time to practice with the bowler gun and the smoke grenades we got earlier? Exactly. And give that exoskeleton a little spin. Oh yes. Another quick side note. As you're travelling around the central region, you might also notice these things called auto pavers scattered around the area. Uh, these are capable of 3D printing roads if they're provided with enough resources. These do take a significant amount of resources, I, I must add. Sam can use the materials he finds, as well as taking some from nearby not cities and prepper homes to help build these roads. Committing resources to the cause will earn Sam likes, and actually finishing a road by completing the resource requirements will reward Sam with a huge amount of likes, as well as providing a piece of road that will make covering the wasteland a lot easier. Which I can vouch for does. There are a lot of these auto pavers around, and with enough patience and resources, Sam can build enough roads to link up the cities and less remote prepper locations, and this makes delivering packages a real breeze. The whole time you travel on this network with vehicles, they don't drain their battery either, so you can just essentially drive from most of the locations in the game without any trouble at all. Yeah, and it actually also works on your exoskeleton as well. Your exoskeleton doesn't drain battery does, while you're yeah. running on it either. So good. And what was great about the roads that I saw, uh, it elevates you as well, so you actually go over mule camps. Like, it's just so useful. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And as you say, it keeps you completely protected from yeah. most of the hazards in the game. Obviously, yeah. if you drive through Timefall, you might still have a bad time. But ultimately, you're yeah. away from a lot of the BTs and a lot of the mules. Although if the mules do see you, they can still climb up onto your road. So it's not <laughs> yeah. like you're completely out of the woods. But If you're driving at full speed, they never yeah. really get you, though. <laughs> exactly. Other online players can also contribute and complete the roads in that area too, and it's all part of the asynchronous multiplayer system where every player is essentially contributing to the world to make it a safer, more traversable environment. So, now armed with the bowler gun, and provided at this point in the game you don't already have the Mesa stun gun from the first area, we can be a little bit more gung-ho compared with our previous attempts at taking on the mules. 
Provided Sam doesn't have any delivery packages on his person, he also won't be detected by the sensors that border the mule camps, meaning that he'll be able to get close without being detected. Sam manages to bowligon, beat up and subdue a camp of roughly 15 mules, and steals a trunk from them to bring back both the data server as well as a motherload of resources, stolen packages and equipment. Well that's what your Sam did anyway. Yeah, I was gonna say, this sounds like James took a bit more of a Metal Gear Solid approach, snuck in, stole it and ran off. Yeah, I didn't even encounter a single person. There you go. <laughs> I think until I was leaving, but I ran away, it was fine. On returning the data server to Bridges, a lake not city, Sam establishes a stronger connection with William Lake and the rest of the people living there. As a reward, Sam is provided with the schematics to build a reverse trike, meaning he can now manufacture these at any eligible base. Uh, this is the same type of trike that was outside the way station that Sam was able to power up using a generator near the area before Sam got on the boat. And also the same as the one from the start of the game too. Sam is able to actually make two variants of this bike, uh, one with capacity to hold packages on either side, or a bike that replaces its storage with additional battery capacity for longer journeys. Sam then returns to his private room to catch some well-earned rest. Absolutely. Deadman calls Sam and explains that with the data from the server Sam stole back from the mules, they are able to proceed with their plans to begin to automate deliveries. Die Hardman asks Sam to bring a prototype to the distribution centre of Lake Knot for testing. Sam checks in with Die Hardman to let him know about the rumours he's been hearing from the preppers about Fragile's past and her involvement with the terrorists blowing up Middle Knot City. Die Hardman, however, still seems pretty convinced she's trustworthy based on how much she seems to hate Higgs, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, so to speak. Yeah. Speaking of the devil, Fragile calls to congratulate Sam on his work getting the preppers to join the network, and Sam's still curious and he asks Fragile about her history with Higgs. Fragile says that if he wants to hear more, she wants to tell him in person, so Sam should meet her at the distribution centre seeing as he's headed there anyway. So, a little fun side note here. Sam has nightmares in this game. The one I encountered first was actually in this moment. Uh, and this is actually one where Sam goes to soothe his BB, as he normally does, and taps on the glass. Oh yeah, I've had this one. BB responds by tapping back on the glass, and then Sam sort of reciprocates as he starts to have like a mock boxing tapping game against the glass with BB inside. Sam has to stop suddenly though as he notices that BB gets a bit carried away and starts banging its head harder and harder against the glass and Sam just is looking on in fear at this point for BB's well-being. And BB suddenly bursts through the glass towards Sam and then the nightmare suddenly ends as Sam wakes up in his bed. Creepy and very weird yeah. but also cool that this game has nightmares in it. I like it and it, it tripped me the hell out the first time it happened. Yeah and I wasn't sure if it would have still happened had I like gone straight to leave the room or something like that. I think they kind of trigger randomly depending on which point you are in the game but there is a random element to them. Yeah so I've had a second one now as well. Oh yeah what, what one was that? It's like where you're just like hovering around the leave room bit and then everything disappears except for the option to leave the room. Oh, yeah. And then as you approach it, the door opens, and then it's underwater outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, a whale that's a cool ends one. And the whale just swims towards you like that. Yeah, that's a cool one. Another side note, there's also a pizza delivery mission available for Sam that he can pick yeah. up from Lake Knot City. The delivery is for a man called Peter Engler, who has a sick sister and wants to order her some food, and they live somewhere northwest of Lake Knot. For these deliveries, Sam will need to keep the package flat and not submerge it in any water to avoid ruining the pizza. Pizza time. On arriving at the destination, Sam drops off the pizza, but he doesn't see anyone at the terminal. He does receive an email later from Peter apologising that he was away at the time and his sister was sleeping. Whilst you're here, you can also find another little companion cube nearby to Peter's shelter, which you can return to Lake Knot for another Half-Life related bonus item. 
this time it's a valve that Sam can wear on the back of his head. This will be a pretty familiar sight to some players if they've played some other Valve games like Left 4 Dead or the Orange Box Collection. Yeah, or me, because on my Neo playthrough I have a special helm that was DLC that has a Steam Valve on it. Sam continues on and drives the prototypes to the distribution centre and drops them off to Thomas Sutherland, the head of distribution for the centre south of Lake Knot City. On the way from Lake Knot, you can also build and extend the road towards the distribution centre as you go by taking resources from the prepper survivors you've made connections with along the way and taking them to the autopavers. After delivering the prototypes, Sam is now able to send automated drones from destinations to carry standard cargo orders to other recipients. The drone's chances of success in safely delivering the packages is determined by the length of the route as well as their chances of encountering things like package thieves and difficult terrain along their journey. If you've been building roads and clearing out mule camps, the drone success rate will be much higher. It's a good secondary way of earning likes without having to do anything for it, really. Yeah. Mama thanks Sam for his work, but has to go because her baby is starting to whine. Die Hardman calls and advises Sam to have a good rest after the long journey here, and Sam heads to his private room, and as per usual, is out like a light within seconds. Rightly so. The man lugs huge numbers of kilos about <laughs> every day. Sam then wakes up once again on the beach completely naked, except for his cufflink device and Cupid dog tags, as he was in his initial vision at the start of the game. He looks down at his hands and they appear old and withered as if they were rained on by timefall, and then Sam suddenly wakes with a start and hears running water. He looks over to see Fragile, who is taking a shower in his private room. Sam wanders over, and through the frosted glass, he can see her entire body below the neck is wrinkled and aged by timefall exposure. As Fragile steps out from the shower, now instantly fully clothed, Sam confronts her about the rumours he's been hearing about her from the locals. So, Fragile explains her father, who also wanted to rebuild America, established Fragile Express as a means of beginning to do so. Fragile met Higgs when he had a monopoly on courier services further on into the West. She explains business was really good at first, but after a year, when Homo Demon's fanatics started stirring up trouble, they hijacked Fragile Express's delivery system and used security passes to start sneaking weapons and bombs into cities. Fragile later discovered Higgs was behind all of this, but before she found out about Higgs's betrayal, he gave Fragile an old-school nuke and told her to carry it to one of the not cities. However, on discovering the package, on discovering the package Fragile was carrying was a bomb, she attempted to discard it, but by that point Higgs was suspicious of her already and he managed to stop her before she could get rid of the bomb. He then took his revenge on her, but she was able to get away. Yeah, and I thought I thought this whole scene was very powerful. The voice acting like, is top notch for this game this is as awesome. well. Yeah. So good. I don't give a damn about bridges or putting America back together. But I'm not about to let Higgs and some terrorists take my father's legacy and shit all over it. So she came here to get Sam to help her, and in return, hopefully one day have her revenge. After taking a shower and a shit, Sam leaves for another adventure. On connecting BB on the ramp up to the delivery station, he sees another vision of the mystery man from the past running somewhere with BB. It looks like he's trying to escape from somewhere. Vision cuts back to Sam as he travels up the elevator. Deadman calls Sam and explains that he's been trying to look into the reason for the visions that Sam sees whenever he connects BB to his suit, but he's been unsuccessful so far as he's locked out of BB's service records. And a quick note here, BB is actually called BB28 according to Bridges records, suggesting that at one point there was a lot of BBs in circulation. Which is interesting. Yeah, you're trying to imagine this world that takes place like in between before the Death Stranding, but also the advent of all this technology. 
Die Hardman phones in to say that they were able to restore the archives of Middlenot, the city that was blown up by Fragile, and the records seem to corroborate her story, just in case Sam needed any more convincing that she's on their side. Mama also phones in to say the test was a success and the automated delivery drone arrived at its destination. There's now two drones that Sam can send off for various standard deliveries. And at this point, Sam's also gains the ability to set premium orders, whereby he can increase the challenge of the standard orders by increasing the amount delivered or decreasing the time limit to deliver the cargo. Or setting a damage threshold. That's right, yeah, like a, a reduced damage threshold. Like no more than 3%. In turn, this will earn Sam more likes for the delivery, but only if he fills up to the challenge. At this point, Sam also can retrieve a chip marked with a mysterious V symbol on it and return it to the distribution centre. This is part of the Cyberpunk 2077 DLC, 2077 DLC. On locating the chip, a mysterious person called Jay upgrades your compass, meaning you're able to have your objective marker never disappear from your heads-up display. Sam is also at this point gifted with V's face pattern, which gives him a sort of cyber look. Uh, it's just an optional piece of face aesthetic that you can choose to wear if you wish. Nothing major. It's like completely sacked off, yeah. Sam's next mission now is to head to a wind farm and deliver a Karelium measurement gauge in the hopes that Bridges can use the technology to begin to understand the timefall weather patterns. Sam avoids a patch of timefall and a group of BTs as he makes his way up a steep hill to the wind farm. The inhabitants of the wind farm have been expecting you and assure you that the gauge will save a lot of lives ultimately. Sam then proceeds to use his Cupid to connect the farm to the Coral Network and establishes another strand amongst the Knot Cities. Alex Weatherstone, the head of the wind farm, gives you the designs for a floating carrier which can be attached to Sam or another carrier and hold a significant amount of weight. This allows Sam to daisy chain up to two chiral powered carriers onto himself and carry loads more cargo over a terrain that's too rough for vehicles. Yeah, I believe each one can take 300 kilo. That's right. I think more so as you upgrade them as well. Probably, yeah. This is at level one. Yeah. yeah so. A really awesome side ability of the carrier, though, is that Sam yeah. can actually step onto it and use it like a hoverboard to surf down hills and mountains. Yeah. I haven't done it yet, but it sounds cool. It's probably best to avoid doing this while carrying anything fragile on your first few yeah. attempts, I will say. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine it's hard to stop. <laughs> Sam can also now build timefall shelters with his upgraded PCC 3D printer. These shelters allow Sam to escape the timefall, and if possible, based on weather patterns, you can also rest until the timefall's over. Yeah, and doesn't it also restore the health of all your packages as well? That's exactly right. Uh, they also carry the benefit of producing a mist that will automatically repair the protected packages that Sam carries his cargo in. Really handy. Super handy, yeah. As if that wasn't enough, Sam also gains the ability to make safe houses with his PCC. Uh, this means that provided there's enough room, Sam can actually set up an underground private room pretty much anywhere in the wasteland, provided the ground's level and there's enough space. Yeah, and I haven't made one of these myself, but thank you to all the other players in... <laughs> who've been contributing to your safe houses <laughs> they've allowed me to rest in their safe houses rest assured i gave you some good likes <laughs> that's all that's all part of it isn't it yeah you use yeah. their thing you send them some likes and if you, you can spam it as well yeah which i learned late you can spam it and give people like hundreds of likes if you're quick enough and the more you increase one of your certain skill branches in the game yeah. you can give more likes at once and stuff like that and yeah, the exactly. length the period for which you can give likes increases and stuff yeah the wind farm now allows sam to see local timefall weather patterns using his cufflinks making it much easier to identify routes that avoid heavy timefall and bts sam can even see a little forecast up to 30 minutes into the future so he can also tell if it's worth waiting in a timefall shelter or if the rain isn't going to stop he might as well just slog through it just 
amazing. Just so much depth to the systems in this game. It's got act- it's not just got ambient weather, but like that you actually that affects gameplay to the point where you actually play around the weather sort of thing. That's a whole yeah. other thing. <laughs> Sam's next stop is the Timefall Farm, where he needs to bring some more bags of wheat. And on his way, he can also tick off another order by building a safe house using his upgraded PCC just down the way from the wind farm. Sam arrives at the Timefall farm to drop off the wheat and can even steal a truck from some nearby mules to help make the trip a bit easier. Sam then moves on to connect the Timefall farm to the chiral network and he gains an ability to negate the mule's cargo scanners so that he can sneak in and out of their areas even when he's carrying deliverable cargo. Hella useful. So useful. This is one of the best abilities in the game. Stops the mules from being onto you straight away regardless of what you're carrying. But you do have to time it well. Exactly. You, you can't need just to spam it. You have to time it well. There's, there's a relatively generous window, but you have to know when to time it. You do. Yeah. And that's you sort of you send a like a, a resonating pulse out with your Odridex scanner and that nullifies the signal. Yeah, and you know you've done it because you get a little text appearing saying mule signal has been nullified. There's a very specific audio cue that you get as well. Because all of the mule sound, sounds like someone's just like using a fucking leaf blower to hit a pan pipe. It's the only way I can describe what it sounds like. The Timefall farm, as its name implies, is using Timefall to accelerate the growth of their crops to provide people with food. And I thought this was actually like a really cool use of Timefall, rather than it just being a source of nothing but danger and something to be avoided. People are actually kind of using Timefall for beneficial purposes as well. Yeah, and they're also experimenting on what they can do to make it more efficient, less harmful, all that good stuff. So it's really cool. That's right. It's time for Sam to now head back to the distribution center so he can pick up two more deliveries. One for someone known as the film director, the other known as the junk dealer. We first deliver the machine parts to the junk dealer, who is extremely distrusting of others due to the terrorist attacks causing the death of his girlfriend. The junk dealer firmly believes the lies being spread about Fragile and blames Bridges for stirring the terrorists up. He's got no inclination whatsoever to join Bridges or the UCA, so Sam has to find a way to bridge the gap and get the junk dealer on side. Die Hardman calls in to explain there's no death certificate matching the junk dealer girlfriend's description. Fragile thinks that she might have actually found her alive based on some old delivery information. So now Sam is tasked with finding the girl to help convince the junk dealer to join the UCA or at the very least, the Chiral Network. While Sam is waiting for the information to come in, an order is received from the junk dealer to go retrieve some old parts from a nearby area filled with yet more BTs. Sam sneaks past a large group of BTs into some ruins and retrieves the cargo. Now, at this point, James, have you noticed any differentiation between the BTs that you've encountered other than the giant ones? Not particularly, but I haven't really encountered all that many BTs. Okay. I'm quite good at avoiding them. (laughs) You might be interested to know that BTs actually come in all shapes and sizes. I can believe it because they're meant to be spirits of various different people, right? So Absolutely. BTs come in all shapes and sizes. You might find some BTs that are sort of regular silhouettes. You might find some BTs that are obese. You might find baby BTs. You can even find giant silhouette BTs that just look like regular people, but they're sort of four or five times the scale of a regular BT. And you can even find sort of red BTs as well that sort of shimmer red and gold. So there is actually quite a bit of enemy variation in this game. It's just one of those if you happen to bump into them type of situations. The only reason why I bring this up now is because I found a red shimmering BT in the wreckage of this place. It took like 10 hematic grenades to finally bring down. But when I did bring it down, it dropped just a little bit less chiral crystals than one of those giant behemoth BTs actually dropped as well. So there's a lot of chiral crystals in those 
red ones or in the giant VTs. We then return the old parts to the junk dealer, and word is clearly spreading about Sam because the junk dealer correctly guesses that, based on his delivery performance so far, Sam is indeed the legendary great deliverer. <laughs> and I love this, the play on words as well, like the deliverer, like deliverer us from evil. The, yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. The junk dealer, however, is still holding a grudge against Fragile and Bridges and still isn't going to join us that easily. After Fragile speaks to him and explains his girlfriend is still alive in a shelter southeast of the ruins we just visited, he gives us an hourglass made from chiral sand and says if we show that to his girlfriend, she'll likely leave with Sam and they can finally be reunited. Now, an interesting aside quickly, at this point, I still thought this was his daughter because I thought she looked like a child. She does, yes. The person, so this is a hologram you see of the junk dealer's girlfriend. She sort of appears in a room. He's clearly got an old recording of her that he uses. He keeps of her as a memory sort of thing. And that yeah. plays before you speak to him each time. Yeah, and I thought that from both of the things I got, I thought that was his daughter. You moron! The junk dealer also gives us a speed skeleton to help with the journey. Uh, and the speed skeleton is a variation of the robotic legs we had previously. They provide a lot more speed than the power skeleton. However, there is a expense at some of the weight carrying capacity. Yeah, so for that reason, I didn't equip them. I was happy with the pace I was going at. Me too on my first run. Uh, yeah, I, I, I stuck with the power once. So off Sam goes to find the missing girlfriend. Sam manages to get to the recipient. However, an older woman answers the terminal to receive the order. And surely this can't be the junk dealer's girlfriend. As James just mentioned... He actually thought it was the junk dealer's daughter, so a middle-aged woman is definitely not the sort of person you'd expect. At this point in my head, I thought she'd been hit by Timefall or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. amazing. Either way, we go ahead and connect them to the Chiral Network. The location for reference is called the Chiral Artist Studio. For some reason, the Chiral Artists also have some schematics that they give to Sam that includes an anti-BT handgun. Not really sure why they were yeah. sitting on that, anyway. <laughs> Shortly after closing the call... The junk dealer's girlfriend opens the door to the shelter, holding the hourglass. She explains that she was separated from the junk dealer during the terrorist attack on South Knot City and wasn't able to find him. She says her mother told her that the junk dealer died as they really didn't get along and as a result of that, she finally gave up hope and stopped looking for him. She asks Sam to take her back to the junk dealer, which Sam obliges by loading her body into a body bag, which is the exact same design as the one he carried his mother to in the incinerator on last week's episode. Just sort of the head slightly unzipped. So yeah, you can see the face. That was the only yeah. difference. <laughs> as Sam carries her back, she explains that the tar lake in the area is said to be bottomless, and locals use of it to dispose of rubbish as well as chiral contaminated materials. And it can also be used to dispose of bodies if there's no nearby incinerator. The junk dealer turns to Sam and apologises for being so reluctant to join Bridges earlier. And after seeing what Sam is capable of, he agrees to join the UCA and the network. He also gives Sam stun grenade schematics, which is another weapon we can add to our arsenal to help fight against those pesky package thieves. Die Hardman phones in to ask Sam to return to Lake Knot and take a load of food, medicines and supplies all the way to South Knot City. So this will be the longest journey that Sam has taken on so far in the central region. And this is where I used the very nice road that someone else had built in my world. Indeed useful, those roads. They really start to come yeah. into their own around this point in the game. Yeah, it made my life so much easier for this trip. Mama also phones in to say there's been a sudden increase in chiral density outside her headquarters and Sam should go check it out when he next gets the chance, as she currently isn't able to leave her shelter due to her baby still fussing. Sam also stops by the film director on the way back, where we deliver a tablet and some other supplies. The film director's happy to see us, as are a lot of the people. 
around the central region. Although, like some others in the area, he doesn't want to fully commit to joining the UCA. He also gives us a new pair of sunglasses made especially for Sam. After dropping some packages off at the distribution centre between South Knot and Lake Knot, Sam gets gifted the ability to make a chiral bridge, a smaller but easier to build version of the large bridge we had before. The catch is that the bridge won't function during timefall, so you've got to be mindful of that, and it also allows you to actually prevent anyone using it who doesn't have bridge IDs. So unlike the larger bridges, you can actually use this to bridge a gap and then the mules can't follow you across it. That's quite neat. It kind of shoots a laser bridge out. It's, it's very useful. Sam then arrives back at Late Knot to pick up the food and medicine supplies for South Knot after stopping to have a quick rest. Die Hardman phones in to say that Fragile has told him she's unable to teleport currently as her connection to the beach is interrupted. I'm wondering if that's got anything to do with a sudden chiral surge outside Mama's headquarters. Certainly makes you think. If Sam wants to know more about Fragile's predicament, he can meet her at the distribution centre south of Lake Knot. Chiral activity also seems to be spiking across the board now, so it's not just Mama that's experiencing this large increase in chiral density. As Sam is collecting his packages to go to South Knot, there's an issue with the processing system, and a shifty character approaches Sam in the loading bay and explains that due to an error with the tags, a piece of cargo was missing from the order, so he gives it to Sam by hand and tells him it's addressed to Fragile, and to take it with him to South Knot City on his way. Does this situation sound a little bit familiar? Yeah, and also it's like delivered in a very, very, I am obviously the bad guy way. <laughs> it's extremely suspicious the way that this guy's acting. Careful, the contents are fragile. <laughs> it is, okay. Sam is absolutely right to be suspicious of this guy, as the package he was just handed contains a small thermonuclear bomb. And it actually tells nice. you this, like, at the moment that you load it onto yourself as well, which is a bit weird. Now might be a pretty good time to check in with Fragile at the distribution centre, as it sounds like she's got some experience in dealing with a situation very similar to this one. Time to head there. Sam heads to his private room, where he mulls over what's going on, obviously falls asleep, and, during a dream, makes the connection that it was likely Higgs, the leader of the terrorists, who hands him the package. He's not very quick on the uptake, Sam. He's a lot of things, but quick on the uptake isn't one. Particularly in this situation, because as I say, it was very obvious. As Sam awakes with this sudden realisation, Fragile is standing by, watching him sleep as normal. Sam tells Fragile the story, and she runs off to go collect the package. When she opens it, they discover it is indeed a bomb, with just less than 24 minutes before it explodes. So, remember that tar lake that the girlfriend of the junk dealer told us about? She mentioned we could put dead bodies in there to avoid triggering a void-out explosion. It's time to test if the lake can also swallow up a nuclear explosion. Sam heads back to the tar lake and throws the package in, which slowly sinks before finally exploding, and the tar is actually thick enough that you can see the explosion underneath the surface, but it does manage to swallow the blast. The chiral interruption must have ended as Fragile suddenly teleports next to Sam and breathes a sigh of relief that the bomb has been sorted. And it is a relief. It is a goddamn relief. Because you can't just walk into the town and it explodes. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can straight out just follow the mission, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fragile begins to sell Sam exactly what happened to her following meeting Higgs. She explains that by the time she knew the package that she was given to deliver was actually a bomb, she was almost at the gates of self Knot. She tried to follow a delivery van to escape, but at this point Higgs was already suspicious of her and managed to capture her before she escaped. As punishment, Higgs strips her down to her underwear and uses his chiral powers to make it rain with timefall. He then gives her the package holding the bomb inside and tells her 
if she's going to attempt to save the city, she'll need to carry it with her to the Tar Lake. However, to do this, she will need to make the agonizing run through Timefall, which will cause her complete suffering and could even be fatal. Higgs begins to remove his mask and tells Fragile he dislikes his own appearance, and as a result, he likes to wear the mask. He also mentions to Fragile that he's recently met someone who completes him and he doesn't feel the need to wear a mask in front of them. He then puts a part of his mask over Fragile's face and tells her to start running. Fragile begins to run, the timefall landing on her and rapidly aging her skin in excruciating pain. Fragile is able to save South Knot, but it comes at a costly price to herself. One that she seems to regret, it must be said. Yes, it does, yeah. After hearing her story in full, Sam tells Fragile that she is a hero and she did the right thing in that situation. Although, as James just said, Fragile certainly doesn't feel like the hero because she actually regrets her decision. Fragile again asks Sam to find and defeat Higgs and also to leave him alive if possible so that she can get to the bottom of why he f***ed her over in the first place. Fragile catches the crypto bio and passes it to Sam, who actually this time takes it and eats one. I think this is kind of meant to be a bit of a symbol that he's kind of growing more fond of I was about to say, is it a sign he's warming to her? Yeah. (laughs) That relationship blossoming? So, not forgetting about South Knot, it's now up to Sam to deliver the actual cargo contents there. Sam arrives at South Knot City and delivers the packages to a guy called Owen Southwick. Sam, as always, connects the Cupid, and South Knot City now joins the UCA Chiral Network. Sam is actually, at this point, also gifted with the schematics for handguns, explosive grenades, and an assault rifle, all of which he can now fabricate at any distribution centre or safe house. This is really interesting. It's like, the game's like, no weapons, and then it's like, pistol, assault rifle, hand grenade? Everything, straight away. (laughs) These are the first lethal weapons given to you in the game, and they also, notably, should be used pretty sparingly and carefully, considering killing someone in this game triggers a giant explosion if Sam doesn't dispose of the body. Yeah. So at this point, the game gives you the tools to just break your game. You're like, you could just kill every mule in the area. I'd never actually thought of that, but I don't, I haven't used any lethal stuff. Well, yeah. But yeah, but you shouldn't. Good job. I did. Good job. Yeah. Because I, di- I didn't even clock. Even before this point, you can actually like run over a mule and kill them. And Die Hub was like, okay, Sam, just drop everything. Take this motherfucker to an incinerator. And that's what happens every time you kill a mule in this game. They're like, okay, drop everything. Take him to the incinerator now. Amelie then contacts Sam and tells him at this point he's actually halfway to connect everyone back up again. And she has something else important to tell you, but is cut off due to a drop connection suddenly. Die Hardman tells you who look into it, and Mama also phones to say another chiral spike is taking place, this time directly outside South Knot, the place where Sam is currently. Die Hardman tells Sam that he should go and investigate, and at that point, I'd like to finish the story, James, for another episode of Completionist's Corner. Leaving it on another cliffhanger, you dun, 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 dirty dun, dun, tease, dun, dun. you. So with that cliffhanger ending to this week's episode of Completionist's Corner, we've come to the end of the podcast... If you made it this far, thank you very much. We really appreciate you. Thanks everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, you can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts from by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And with that, take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye now.